yeah, I haven't watched this this movie since it came out in theaters, and I did forget that they cut open Gwyneth Paltrow's head. They do just a little bit. quite graphically. Quite gra- <laughs> yeah, that was pretty graphic. Yeah, yeah. I have feelings about Gwyneth Paltrow. They'll come out. Oh yeah, we all do. We all do. Uh, she's been in our lives for so long; it's impossible not to. Um, <clears throat> so, as you guys know, I don't really know how to start yet. So, probably going to be something like, "Welcome to late to the movies." I'm Ben Holden. This is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Every week, we'll pick a movie that either I or a guest hasn't seen before, but really should have by now. This week, well, you know, we've been doing. Um, I think a few weeks ago for the Shining episode, I mentioned that we'd only been doing like really heady kind of like downer stuff. Not that that makes it for a bad episode. I think those episodes are really fun. So the last couple have been a little more lighthearted. We did did Wedding Singer and then Batman Returns and then a special episode on Encanto. But now we're going to keep that lightheartedness going and do something that is just pure escapism. Just nothing but laughs. Uh, We're doing 2011's Contagion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I, I actually haven't seen this movie since I was... Uh, in theaters watching it. But first, before I get too far ahead away from it, my guests this week, two people new to the to the podcast, only one of them new to the movie. We got Kate. Hey, I'm Kate. <laughs> and Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. And uh, Jeffrey, you saw it before. You saw it in theaters, and then you rewatched it last year, right? Yep, that's right. Or in 2020, I rewatched it. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right not after like, the pandemic. <laughs> that's started. not last year anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're in 2022. Oh, no. So... <laughs> Last year and change. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Kate, this was first time for you. First time for me, yep. And that is interesting because, uh, oh, I should say legally up top, everything you say is medical advice. Legally, <laughs> yeah, <right>? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, and I work in public health. That's what Ben's referring to. Um, but I somehow managed to not see Contagion until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily would have helped or it dissuaded you from trying to be in sort of like a public health position, but... I don't know. Whatever whatever happened, happened, and, and now you're watching it for the first time now. Uh, but first, before we get into the movie, I usually start by asking about general movie-going habits. Since you guys are new, it doesn't have to be specific to anything you've seen recently, though certainly that would apply. But just kind of like, uh, do you guys watch a lot of movies? Do you not? I like movies a lot, and as you both can attest, I have a hard time sitting through them. So Mm. I haven't been to the theater in a really long time, but um, when I was going to the theater, a lot of my experiences were with Ben, and he is very good at picking out movies that I will stay awake through. So that's always helpful, Um, but I have ADHD, so it's hard to sit through a whole movie. I didn't even mean to steer it in this direction, but for like the sixth episode in a row, I get to reference cats because we we saw cats together. We did see cats together. It was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. How about you, Jeffrey? I'm probably a bigger movie watcher than Kate. I I probably watched less movies since we've been dating for a little over a year now. Uh, We've watched a lot of half movies, Um, but I haven't been in the movies since the movie theaters since the pandemic started. So I definitely missed that. But Back in the movie past days, I was cranking through movies, you know, doing at least one a week. Uh, so missed those days. I'd say it's the golden years, but it was really like the golden eight months before that <laughs> yeah. that business uh, model completely collapsed on itself. For but sure. Fun times. <laughs> that was a good time. That was. I remember going to the Providence Movie Theater to see. Um, Sorry to bother you. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's when I found out that Movie Pass had begun limiting the, their service. Oh no! Quite hard. Quite. 
uh, significantly. Yeah, that was because <laughs> I was like, oh, it won't let me pick this on the app because now it says I can only watch these three movies. Yeah, to say it wasn't like literally one movie or something. At yeah, one it point. was. Yeah, it was really strange. Great movie though, and and Ben and I learned that our suburbs were not cool enough to play it, so we had to drive okay. further. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a that's been a problem with trying to catch some of the like Oscar Beatty type movies in the last couple months. Is you got to drive far or just catch them for the week or two that they're in Providence, but you never know in advance. All right. Uh, is, you guys seen anything recently? I mean, besides Contagion. <laughs> we, s- we just watched Don't Look Up. Okay. Oh, that, was most recent yeah. movie that was so good. You, you're too afraid to watch it, Ben. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a big wimp. I, I've, uh, as people who've been really following this maybe too closely might know I have been slowly conquering my fear of scary movies, but comets I can't do. <laughs> it's, it is like too real. Yeah. Um, or just like big metaphors. I can't, I can't handle them. Yeah. It's, it's an unveiled metaphor, yeah. I'd say, but excellent. And that was one that I like was stuck to the screen. Um, okay. I, Jeffrey liked it, but thought it was a little long. I thought like every second was worth it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't get quite as into all the characters in the storyline. I thought it could have been condensed a little bit, but I like the overall theme of it. I thought it was quite poignant. Yeah, that was a, that's an interesting one. I feel like your perspective that makes it maybe you the best person to talk about Contagion, that I know at least, um, would also kind of make it so you relate a lot to Don't Look Up. Right. And like- sort of the experience of those characters trying to get people to believe in science seriously (laughs) yes yeah yeah Yeah, and it's complicated that makes a lot of sense science is complicated but yes definitely that makes a lot of sense yeah i haven't watched it yet dull i will once it's in best picture nominees i'll have to watch it Mm -hmm. so have to sounds you know negative but (laughs) you know what i mean i'll watch it with you yeah (laughs) (laughs) sounds good all right so uh let's do i'll put a minute on the clock okay i don't know if we'll need it but Jeffrey, let's get a plot summary. So the plot summary of Contagion is, well, a lot of how you'd expect a pandemic to go because the movie is all about a pandemic. And it opens with us finding um, a few characters who get really sick and we don't know why. They're uh, traveling internationally, I believe. And the movie follows a few different um, parallel storylines at a time. So we're kind of getting different views into this pandemic along the way as it progresses, as more people get sick. Um, We follow scientists as they try to figure out what the virus is, where it came from, how to find a cure for it in the form of a vaccine. We follow um, the CDC and other public health authorities as they try to basically contain the virus, contain outbreaks, and, and make sure more people don't get it. And then we follow the lives of everyday people who are trying not to get sick and die because this uh, this virus, unfortunately, is very fatal. I, I believe it's about 20% fatality rate. So much more scary than COVID-19 in that way. But um, other than that, very similar lines to what we've been living through for the, the past two years. Pretty much exactly on the dot on a minute. Good job. Snaps all around. <laughs> so this um, movie made a big resurgence climbing the uh, iTunes rental charts in 2020 after the COVID-19 pandemic hit. I was not one of those people who was really like looking forward to revisiting it, but you did revisit it in 2020, right? Yeah, it was some weird thing. Like, I like, I don't know, it was <laughs> self-flagellation or something like that. But yeah, it's kind of like you know, I, I wanted something to like relate to what I was living through, and kind of, um, I, I kind of knew it, it. It had like a, a positive ending, I think, too. So I think that was part of why I watched it because I was like, 
I, you know, I hope, I hope our pandemic ends the way this pandemic ends in the movie, if you will. With everyone like really excited to get their vaccination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was one of the hardest things to watch was like people <laughs> just like they had to institute a lottery system. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that felt true for a second um, with with the initial wave of COVID vaccines when it was just healthcare workers and yeah uh, and the like. But um, you know, of course, with all the vaccine hesitancy now, did not ring true. Yeah, it's a little a little tough, but I I mean I wonder if you could just squirt it up your nose if it would be you know, like you mm. like in the movie it's a it's a nasal. Oh nasal. yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, would not I don't think it would remove the microchip concerns, but definitely the needle phobic folks. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the microchips would still they'd still definitely find purchase in your nervous system if you shoot it up your nose, just like Bill Gates was. <laughs> exactly. Um so this movie comes from Steven Soderbergh, who's the director, and Scott Z. Burns, who's the writer, they worked together on uh, this is the previous Soderbergh movie, The Informant, which is also with Matt Damon. And they were thinking of their next project. They wanted to work together again. And their first thought was a biopic about Lenny Riefenstahl, the famous Nazi propagandist. <laughs> and then they thought that the audience for that might not be so big. So instead, I wonder what would happen if an actual pandemic hit. And they wrote this movie. Uh, Scott Burns actually talked to a decent amount of, I'm not sure if they were specifically epidemiologists or just like social scientists about the more kind of societal impacts of what would happen, but he, they talked to actual scientists. And I think the general consensus at the time when the movie came out was sure they exaggerate some parts cause it's a movie, but it's a good guess at what might happen. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward nine years later, 2020 <laughs> COVID-19 hits and, they got a lot right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They did, yeah. It was a good guess at what might happen. Yeah. Um, before we get into kind of bigger picture stuff, specifically about the movie, Soderbergh in some of his movies does this sort of um, multi-narrative. There's no real main character. You're switching between people, and that's... I don't know if he's ever called it this, but it's called like hyperlink narrative. Mm -hmm. um, it's supposed to mimic kind of the way that people process information today where there's all these different tracks happening at the same time. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but a few of his movies are like that and, and it is interesting, but the result is there's no real main character. You think maybe it's Kate Winslet 62 minutes into it. She's in a trash bag in a mass grave. Yeah. I guess her, she's not the main character, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. What, what do you guys think structurally about the movie? That's one of the more interesting parts of it. I think. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a real interesting way to do it because there are so many facets to a pandemic you know, I think if you kind of went a more traditional way and had one main character and followed them around, maybe it's, you know, Matt Damon was a pretty main character and he's just a yeah. civilian. His wife is the, I think the first person to contract the virus. If you kind of followed him through, like it could have been interesting, but there also, you know, just would have been a lot of weird spots in the plot line. Like, I don't know, you, you wouldn't want to make him the hero or something. That'd be just a strange twist. And then also a lot of it at the time, he's just kind of just waiting for something to happen and waiting for the vaccine to come along, kind of living his life. So you check it back in with him a lot. But the real interesting parts are through other characters that you meet along the way. So I think that's really what's neat about the structure of the movie is you kind of go back and forth to kind of like who has the most going on at the moment and what's going, what's interesting for those characters. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the um, most interesting things about the movie to me was you know, in <clears throat> in keeping with, you know, what happens during an actual pandemic, they're showing 
kind of the hecticness of it for for everybody. And I think that sort of hyperlink, you know, narrative style, um, as Ben called it, is a good way to do that. You know, you're seeing like this person's actions are affecting this person and you see, you know, um, a person who was infected by Gleneth Paltrow, you later find out. And then you're looking at the public health workers who are trying to kind of piece it all together. Um, so I think it was a good way to show kind of what a hectic feeling a pandemic is. Um, and I found it really interesting. Yeah, you definitely get that from, like you said, Matt Damon being the sort of civilian level, the not misinformation necessarily, but lack of information leading to panic and confusion and then outright hostility in some cases. And people at the CDC, people at uh, WHO getting kidnapped. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I guess the message is just like, don't cheat on your husband and you won't cause a global. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an anti-adultery movie. It's the main takeaway. <laughs> and then the, the, the very last sequence reveals to you that it's a chef in the casino in Hong Kong or is that the I, Macau or yeah that was Macau actually. yeah it was Macau right yeah yes. and he didn't wash his hands after touching a pig right yeah that, that was pooped on by a, a bat or something yeah. or a bat pooped in the food I think yep that ate a specific banana exactly I think I think the bat dropped the banana and the, oh, the banana, the banana. Okay, that's what yeah it was. yeah yeah but I, that moment was so interesting because I feel like at the beginning of the COVID pandemic people were really searching for that moment right like what happened and there were all these you know thoughts about was it a bat in a lab in Wuhan and they were doing coronavirus yeah. research and did it, you know, whatever. And then someone ate the bat. And and I think there was such a um desire, at least at the beginning, to like grasp on to a moment like that. Um and we will n- probably never have a moment like that. So that that's one of those, you know, yeah. movie things that can't happen in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just like they're never gonna figure this out, but you get to know because it would probably be annoying for audiences to to go home. It's an interesting choice to end on that. Whatever. We'll jump to the end. Um, <laughs> Matt Damon and his daughter have that sequence with the prom thing that he yeah. does for her. A real thing that happened. So yeah, her, totally. I think at that point her, her boyfriend's vaccinated, right? And yeah. she's not vaccinated yet. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was such a sweet moment in the movie. Yeah. Cause I think we all remember like the like, Oh, can I hug you again? Moments yeah. with our friends. Um, yeah. And just that kind of hint at, some some semblance of not quite normalcy, but you know, um, intimacy and and uh, some kind of inkling of what was and what you've been missing out on was really really sweet. Yeah, so I've that's basically where the ma- the movie ends, but then they show that last sequence um, just to I don't know. It's a much more unnerving ending. So <laughs> right, uh, could have been so happy it's an interesting choice. From. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting choice. Um, I think it's pretty much a good choice, but you know whatever. Uh, there's a sequence at the beginning and then they kind of do this throughout the rest of the movie without specifically aside from that very final sequence, making it clear to you all the things that people are touching. Yeah. This is a, a virus that spreads on surfaces. Um, and they show you without really putting too fine a point on it, but it's obvious enough that you pick up on it. They're showing like, you know, she giving her credit card to someone, them running it through, the uh, you know the point of service machine, and them shaking someone else's hand, putting an arm around someone to take a picture, and they're just doing that all the time. I think the the part where it's the most like okay, we get it was when uh, Kate Winslet calls the guy in Minnesota that's on the bus. Yes, oh, wow. and he's like yeah. hacking up a lung and just like touching every surface as he's leaving the bus. <laughs> every pole. Yeah, he, he gets literally every pole he passes. <laughs> 
Um, but aside from that, I think it's it's pretty subtly woven in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the part about the movie, too, that's definitely more frightening is people get very violently ill at the beginning. And some people oh, yeah. s- die suddenly. They have, uh, like, seizures. They start foaming at the mouth. Uh, that That's, like, really scary stuff to me. Like, I think that really got me hooked in. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is intense. And people are just dying, you know, unexpectedly um, when the, the boy... Matt Damon's son dies in his bed. That was pretty, pretty crazy. So I think that's kind of one big thing about this pandemic. That's like, you're like, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, It happens quick. Yeah. It's hard. The early deaths were really like extra frightening. I think Erin Mears, um, when, when her character dies, she, that seems more kind of like COVID like to me, you know, she wakes up, she's feverish, she's gasping for air and it's several days of like a downhill slope. Um, so that felt a little bit more relatable than like the, the borderline zombie like situation with the, with the kid, um, of Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned that term because I, when I saw this, my takeaway was that it's basically a zombie movie without zombies. (laughs) And that's how I've described it when I've thought about it or it's come up in conversation literally since I saw it in movie theaters, uh, definitely still feel that way. It gets a lot more into scientific process and how politic the political ramifications of, you know, uh, freedom versus safety and you know, restrictions. Um, it becomes more of like a political thriller. But the early part of it, especially most of the first hour, while people are still dying really violently, that are main characters or supposed main characters. Yeah. It's pretty freaky. Yeah. They they do a good job. Especially the Gwyneth Paltrow death is really kind of violent. Pretty intense. And the autopsy also pretty intense. Yeah. I forgot they do that. They just cut her head right open. I know. And like Gwyneth Paltrow being the first death in this movie was so interesting in retrospect. Um, I and, do remember that being surprising. I, and she had COVID, right? Um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, my first thought when I saw this, I was like, oh, I'm going to Google Gwyneth Paltrow COVID because you know there's going to be some good stuff there just with her goop history. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, I didn't find anything that she was like explicitly an anti-vaxxer. But what I did find was um, she has, you know, some long COVID effects and has been recommending things like, you know, keto fasts and things like that. And, um, a a higher up at NHS, you know, reprimanded her for that. So it was just really interesting to see, like, this is the, you know, the the patient zero. She didn't quite get Jude Lawed. The the government didn't run a sting against her. (laughs) Right. No, (laughs) it it seems like NHS was ready to though. (laughs) Um, because she went more anti-vaxxer, they (laughs) might've. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Anyone on the platform doing that. And that's, you know, the Jude law character, um, Blogs are evil. We all know this, and this is this is what can happen. It's it's funny to look at. Sort of, it doesn't feel like a ton has changed in the last ten years and change um, since this movie came out. But to just look at what the internet looks like, literally like on a computer screen, and the and what like a blog looks like, it it, it that's sort of the biggest difference, I guess. Yes. Uh, and yeah, they use the word blogosphere unironically. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so you talking so much about Gwyneth Paltrow being in this movie, we should we can talk about the actors in this movie because there's so many famous people. So many. Um, Marion Cotillard is also in this. And another person who I looked up their thoughts on the actual real pandemic after uh, 
you know, we, I knew we were going to do this movie. I was like, I wonder what she thinks about it because quite famously when she was doing her tour and, uh, promoting Levine and Rose, which she won the Academy award for when she was on that kind of campaign trail, uh, it came out that a few years before that on some French late night program, you know, maybe she doesn't quite think jet fuel can melt steel beams. Not too sure oh, about boy. the moon landing. <laughs> wow. uh, so, um, she says it's all a misunderstanding. I don't speak French, so maybe it was like in a joke context that I don't understand. But it seems like some of the stuff she said, pretty clear. Uh, but she does seem to take COVID-19 pretty seriously. She's one of the pre- pretty big group of people who are in this movie that did PSAs back in 2020. When uh, oh, okay. oh, wow. when this movie got like kind of big in the public consciousness again. Like her, Matt Damon, Jennifer Yeo, who plays the one who eventually injects herself and, mm-hmm. you know, figures out the cure. <clears throat> I think Lawrence Fishburne is in there too. But so anyway, point being, it's funny that she was in this movie. <laughs> that is, yeah, very funny. <laughs> on on the Wikipedia for it, there's a picture of her next to casts. And I think it says something along the lines of the caption under her picture of uh, she was really uh, excited to be in the movie because she's so terrified of diseases or something like that. Okay. Oh, I feel like I saw that too. Uh, yeah. 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 She's just like fun. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, whatever. We should talk more about performances than people. So who, who do you think is good in this? Big people, you know, Paltrow, Matt Damon, Cotillard, uh, Kate Winslet's in it a lot, Lawrence yeah. Fishburne. I thought Kate Winslet was great. Um, it, it's it sounds like she did. Uh, I I did a little reading on it. it. Sounds like she did a lot of research for her character too. On um, that she was in the Epidemic Intelligence Services, which is a real thing, um, and it's like a, a postdoc. So she her being kind of like on the ground doing um, doing that work. I think she did a great job, and she did a great job really making science accessible. Um, you know, through her character, but she had to kind of get it to portray it like that. So when she was describing like the R not and why that's important, um, I thought I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I really liked Jude Law's character. <laughs> I really, I mean, I think in 2011 it definitely wouldn't have hit home as much. You would have been like, oh man, this guy's just a wacko, and like, who's going to believe this guy? Yeah. But after there's so many conspiracy theories in the pandemic now, like I think it, it really made sense. You're like, Oh wow, this like really actually happens and really has happened here. And he's really just like a, a combination of, of people, uh, you know, in the U S media or, or however you want to describe it now. And, um, it's just really interesting to see. And like, it, it also is really interesting that he gets exposed as a profiteer essentially. And that's yeah. how he gets taken down by the FBI. Cause he, you know, made up a cure just to make money from it, yeah, uh, which is very satisfying. I can't believe they have an ivermectin plot line. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. they thought of everything. <laughs> they did. I really like too when he, uh, though he like goes at Lawrence Fishburne in that interview. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's on some TV show, like a PBS style yeah, show something or with something. Sanjay Gupta, seemingly <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and basically calls out Lawrence Fishburne for uh, spilling the beans to, I think is his wife or girlfriend, whoever it is. And basically like letting, you know, giving out insider info to certain people before he announces to the public and yeah. really did like a real public takedown of him. But that was real, like, you know, again, another, I mean, really legit criticism if I'm being honest, but also like, wow, like the power of somebody who has information. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Someone with a platform. It's it's. We don't have to name names, but there's since 2011 at least a few people who have emerged that are those people who like do this 
fear mongering thing that are on their own platform um, who aren't allowed to be on Twitter anymore. You know, those, those guys, <laughs> yeah. he, he would definitely have been banned from Twitter. For it definitely would have yeah. been banned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he wouldn't probably maybe couldn't be on Facebook anymore. That one's dicier. <laughs> right. Depends who was paying him. You know, Zuckerberg <laughs> holding company. We don't know. We don't know. Um, so the, the, uh, the art not scene, is that what it is? Art not? Are not. Yeah. Are not. Yeah. Um, what that lady from Minnesota's Department of Public Health is just like really, really aggro at Kate Winslet the whole time. Yes, yes, and that was you're talking about the the person who was like, it's the biggest shopping weekend of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that is the moments, the Marion Jaws who doesn't want to close the beach, basically. Right, exactly. Um, and those moments really um, were were interesting. The like you know, who stays home with the kids if yeah. we, if we close businesses and who, you know, what are we going to do with all of the malls? And, and those, those are, I think some of the more frustrating moments, um, in this pandemic, at least for me. So it was interesting to see that personified so early. Yeah. Um, and like all the talk about, you know, what, what really is the enemy here is fear. Um, and, and even, you know, they're referring to the last pandemic as the H1N1, right? Um, and that was still one of the most relevant things that folks were speaking about, at least in the U.S., right? We didn't experience Zika to a, a huge degree. So I remember people saying like, well, swine flu was not like a huge deal. Right, <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no one I personally know like got extremely sick or died. Exactly. And like, you know, however many thousand people died, but that's like not, I remember like in the very, very first Canada months, got bad, right? Did it? I don't. I don't remember. Like Montreal, I want to say. I don't know. My memory of swine flu is that my roommate in college had it and decided to stay and party for Halloween. So (laughs) it sounds like a college decision. Sounds sounds very UMass. Yeah. But I think like I think the you know Minnesota public health lady. I mean, maybe she has a bit more insider knowledge than the average person, but definitely personified. You know, in a pandemic, is you don't really understand the level that things get to like, you know, obviously Kate Winslet's character is trying to explain how bad things can get. And I think for like 99% of people, you can't possibly understand that until you're in a situation. And that's why we got so blindsided two years ago is because like no one understands a pandemic until they live through one, I think. And so it's easy to ask those questions like, you know, what are we going to do in this situation? And why would we do that? And like nothing happened before. Why should we be worried now? So I think to me, that's who that character kind of represented is like the real skeptical person yeah. that's like, is this really necessary? Like, why are you taking these like really drastic steps, unprecedented steps in terms of this lifetime? For sure. Yeah. It's a thing like everyone's, you know, the the detractors are saying once you break the glass, that's that's pretty much it. Um, I think from pretty much the first scene in the movie, you understand that people are dying from this disease. Right. Um, but it isn't until like around halfway, maybe even a little more through that the government is conveying the full kind of picture to, right. to, uh, people actually across the country, which, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they knew a pretty good amount of time first they sold their stocks and then, and then they told the American people in real life. So yeah, exactly. I thought the, they just to go back to get to the Lawrence Fishburne's character, I think he's the head of the CDC, right. Um, and him sharing the information with his wife who then, shares the information with a bunch of her friends and kind of more people find out and who aren't really supposed to know yet. I think it's really interesting. Like, obviously that's like unethical and unfair, but like, it's also like, well, if it's life or death, like 
would you do the same? I think that's what really is the question, right? Like, yeah. Why does his fiance live in Chicago if he's in Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, that, I don't <laughs> that's know the that bigger one. question. Yeah, here, yeah. yeah, she just likes it there. I guess I don't know. Because it's not like he just like works in Atlanta. If he's the head of the CDC, I imagine right. he should live there. <laughs> yeah, one would assume. I also I found him very forgivable. You know, at the at the end of it, I was mad at I was mad at his what was it, wife fiance fiance. I think yeah, yeah I was fiance, mad. and then they're yeah, because at the end they're like, oh, we're. He tells Brian Cranston, we're going to have a ceremony. Okay. Right, right. right. Yeah, I was mad at her, and I was definitely mad at her friend. Um, who she yeah, was on. Her friend clearly <laughs> immediately went on Facebook, I, right? right? Yeah, it was yeah. like this, this woman posted a status immediately. Um, but I, I was less mad at him. Um, and I, I thought, you know, you see the custodian kind of walk in on him telling his fiance to just drive, drive to Atlanta. And the custodian um, is really upset and says, you know, we all have people. Um, but when he gives, um, he gives, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character gives his dose to the custodian's kid, um, of the vaccine. It was like his way of making up for it. Um, you know, I had a soft spot for him. I yeah, think he was like a couple moment for sure. Right. He was trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it just speaks to the, the cast that Soderbergh gets in his movies and in this movie in particular, the custodians played by John Hawks, who is an Academy Award nominee. The uh, the fiance he's only in I think literally three scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the fiance Sana Lathan, who is a, a really big deal. Also, uh, she just had a not a huge part, but a part on Succession's uh, most recent season, and obviously loving basketball back in the day and a bunch of other stuff in between. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. What I would probably I probably would tell someone who's if you if you have like like your this guy's fiance is in a city that he knows like tomorrow or next yeah. week or something, they're shutting down the border in the airport. You're not going to be able to get out. I'll be like, Hey, just come over here. Right. Right. So uh, yeah, I lived in, in his defense. All he says is just come here. Right. Right. Just come here. Don't talk to anybody. Don't touch. He anybody. doesn't really give her more actionable information than that. Obviously the implication is there. Right. But she, yeah. Yeah. She could have also just told her friend, yeah, you know, he said maybe get out of the big cities, maybe like come down here. We have, you know, she could have framed it differently. That's a she very could. boring movie, though, Ben. <laughs> yeah. He could, I think he, in, in retrospect, you know, hindsight here, but he could have like feigned an illness and been like, you have to come. I, I broke my leg or something. Yeah, I broke my leg. <laughs> you need to drive yeah. me to work. <laughs> right. I really need your support. I'm very stressed out. But so I lived in New York City at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, and there were moments like that. There were rumors that they were shutting down all the bridges. There were like, you know, none of it was real, but there were moments where everyone and a lot of people did get out, you know, a lot of people did leave New York City and just yeah, had to could afford to. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And in my family, it was like, come home. Um, and I because I work on a hospital campus, I thought I should not come home. I've probably already been exposed to covid. Um, and I was so I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But um, lo, lo and behold, lo and behold. Yeah. Oh, we, we also we should have mentioned this, but we were supposed to record this podcast a few weeks ago uh-huh. and we we couldn't because Jeffrey and I both had COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't really think about the irony of that. <laughs> yeah. Second time for me. Um, well, and, you're the perfect people to record with. Exactly. Yeah. So, so double if, COVID. We're in hospital. Yeah, exactly. We were inspired to do this movie by the Omicron wave and then we got it. Right. Despite being vaccinated. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, all, all the boosties didn't didn't help us. <laughs> so were you still in Portland when that happened? Yeah, I was. I was living alone in Portland. 
Uh, I, I had just come back from LA from a trip at the beginning of mid February, I think it was. And I remember, I remember talking to people in LA, like, how oh, do you think this like COVID thing's going to like be a big thing? And like, I was like, ah, no, I don't really think so. And, you know, just kind of spending time in Portland. And then one day I talked to somebody whose wife was a doctor and he was like, I was like, yeah, you know, they're saying it's like, just like the flu. He's like, it's not like the flu. It's way worse. <laughs> and I definitely was like, had like a like, oh shit moment with being like, oh man, like this is probably actually really bad. Had <laughs> 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 a few breakdowns, I think. And then it really set in when things shut down. Yeah, I was in, so my sister and I went on vacation in February. She's a teacher. We went during the I think most of the East Coast has a February vacation the same week. And we were deciding whether to go then or an April vacation in 2020. <laughs> Fortunately, we chose February. We went to London. And I remember thinking like, oh, I don't think we like ran into any Italian people. So we should <laughs> so we should be okay. Um, I can only imagine what Italians think of Americans now. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, at the time, it was like, wow, Italy's really messed up. Right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember just thinking like, wow, you know. So we came back late, mid, late February by my birthday, March 18th, the week before I had concert tickets to a show, I think on the 13th and the 15th, the 13th, I was kind of just like, you know what? I'm not going to go. It's fine. It was just a comedy show. It wasn't like that big a deal. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go. It it happened anyway. I just ate the ticket cost. The show on the 15th, um, by then the governor of Rhode Island had shut down every venue in the state. So that was that was the turning point right there. And I was like, well, okay, I guess this is happening. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're all going to have to go home for a couple weeks and then we'll go back to work because that was the thinking. At that the time. was the thing. I remember um, someone on a team I manage at work, we were kind of gathering our stuff and he was like, so when am I coming back? You know, yeah. how much stuff can I bring? I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, and yeah, none of us could have ever guessed. <laughs> still, <Yeah>. still not back. <laughs> I, I definitely had a, a moment in my, my workplace. I have like 20 ish coworkers. And, um, I remember specifically like on, we'd all kind of just, there's sort of just like one long hallway in, in our office and we'd all kind of gather there towards the end of the day and just sort of, when we, we were getting ready to leave and just sort of chat or whatever. I remember kind of going down that hallway, like a receiving line and just telling people like, <laughs> okay, I hope I see you soon. Um, I literally never saw some of those people again. A lot of them have left wow. this, right? the office. <laughs> so I didn't see them soon. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. that that is wild. The people you only ever saw again in 2d. Um, yeah, literally, literally. Yeah. I, I've been working remotely since like 2012. So like that part is totally lost on me to be honest. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'm just, I was working from like a coworking space. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just working from home now on my computer instead of some random office on a computer, but <laughs> still working on a computer and doing Zoom. I've been using Zoom since like 2015. Yeah, you're ahead of the curve. Early adopter. Yep. <laughs> my my exit scene was very dramatic. I had like an external monitor in one hand and I was getting a dress altered, like a so floor. So you were already looting at that point? I was or? already looting at that point, absolutely. Um, and I was getting a dress altered for a wedding. It was like a floor-length gown at, right near work. So I was I got on the subway with a, a large external monitor and a gown like <laughs> over my shoulder. It's oh. very, very dramatic scene. <laughs> yeah. That is very, that's, that's, that's a New York moment. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, what else do we want to talk about? <laughs> I, I think one thing that's really interesting that I thought was, so I, I know one of the parts that were kind of critical about the movie in terms of like, I, it was an article like 
fact checking the movie and it was like actually it's mostly good except the vaccine development is the part that is not that realistic which is interesting because um in the movie basically a, a few scientists developed this vaccine they like tested on monkeys and then one of the scientists basically injects herself after seeing the monkeys survived and then that she's the test subject and then we don't really know much else i don't think they went through any trials or anything and they just make the vaccine yeah, it's basically start right to production and yeah <laughs> which obviously isn't how it actually works and isn't how it worked in this pandemic but they also talked about how short this cycle was to develop the vaccine which in 2020 was very um criticized in the movie because you're like well no vaccine's ever been developed in i think like eight months like it is in the movie and it's, it's pretty funny actually because we actually came pretty close to developing a vaccine or scientists came pretty close to developing a vaccine in about eight months um i think the irony is the part that actually is unrealistic in the movie is in the movie everyone takes the vaccine mm-hmm. presumably <laughs> and the pandemic's over and that's not what's happened in real life in our world obviously Right. And we had a we had a good head start in vaccine development because, you know, we know about coronaviruses um, in general. Um, So, you know, it through lots of wonderful scientific effort, we were able to do it. But, yeah, I think that's one of the saddest parts of the movie (laughs) to watch is like is exactly, you know, what we were talking about earlier um, around vaccine hesitancy. And it it seems, you know, of course, the movie ends, you see like one almost normal scene. and you don't really know, I guess, what happens next. And did everyone actually get it? Was it effective long term? But it, I think that that was hard. It was like, well, what about next year? Like you all, are you going to be normal? Like, like a normal life? Like it's like an acute yeah. emergency, which is not yeah. not how this feels anymore. Um, it's like we need a contagion part two, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the slow, slow return to normalcy. There, There is, yeah, there is a level of, breakdown of society in the movie that would be hard to just be like coming back from because people abandon their houses totally people break into their neighbor's houses and like steal guns right um like supposedly the hero of that segment of the movie breaks into his neighbor's house and takes a gun absolutely yep Um, after seeing a murder across the street (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah i don't know if that's ever like specifically resolved so he sees and hears gunshots from across the street mm-hmm. and then sees people like leaving with uh rifle like hunting rifles and um tries to call 911 and he's put into a phone tree which i thought was pretty funny that was funny and yeah i i totally forgot about that part of the movie we never know what happened there. yeah yeah and when he goes to the neighbor's house the next day i'm expecting him to like find dead bodies there <laughs> right. or something but no i guess it was a different neighbor and he was just going there to steal guns right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was, of course, like timing wise, parallel chaos with this pandemic um, in terms of, you know, all of the like George Floyd was murdered, you know, all of that. So there, I think there was a similar kind of hectic feeling that happened for a good oh, yeah. chunk of time. Um, it wasn't all, you know, pandemic related, but but it wasn't pandemic unrelated. Yeah. Pandemic um, amplified, maybe. Exactly. So I think. Um, I, there are definitely moments that felt like, you know, at least in some places, a return to normalcy would be odd. And I think that might still be true, right? In places like New York City, um, they certainly won't, won't feel the same, I think, for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, place, place where I work in Boston still has uh, plexiglass over all the first floor windows. So, wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, that is interesting. I, <laughs> one, one other like sciencey thing that I thought was interesting is like the R not, um, you know, that scene where they're talking about um, the R not, which basically means like for every person who gets sick, how many people do they get sick? Um, it so this virus and contagion was it had a much higher mortality rate. They said I think around like twenty percent or something. The R not was two, um, which was closer to original COVID strains, but now like Omicron's way higher than that. You know, we're, we're dealing with a much more contagious virus than they were there. Um, so it's just interesting to think about, you know, they're talking fomites or whatever um, and, you know, touch, touch surface stuff, but um, it, just watching people with a, you know, less contagious virus than we're dealing with um, not all being masked was kind of unnerving. Yeah. yeah, the lack of masking for anyone that wasn't about to die was right. kind of surprising. Right. Even even Aaron Muir's character at some points, yeah. she was like touring a facility and she was telling people, again, we're dealing with a different virus, but she was telling people not to touch things. I'm like, where's your mask? Yeah. yeah. I think the first time she wore a mask was when she got that guy off the bus and then she becomes sick soon after. I was like, why were if you had a mask, why weren't you just wearing it the whole time? Like, why did you wait for this guy? Like, yeah. Yeah, be highly yeah. contagious and you walked right up to him. Right, right. Yeah, it seemed like people were only wearing masks when they knew they were interacting with, with people who were sick. Yeah. So I think the movie, though, didn't they say that in the movie the virus mutated at some point and the R-naught increased? I can't remember what it went from. Into. Yeah, it interacted with uh, like an HIV community. Yes, they said. yes, that's right. And yeah, they. Um, I rem- it was in South Africa. They mentioned Durban. So that was interesting because, like, of course, Omicron was first reported in South Africa. It doesn't mean it first occurred there. But a, a, a South Africa mutation situation was just another little COVID-related <laughs> spot in yeah. the movie. He's nailing it. I know, right? <laughs> so um, I have a note here. Is the real contagion the virus or fake news? <laughs> I forgot the Jude Law character has, there's a scene where he's like putting signs under people's windshield wipers that say something like CDC lies. CDC lies. uh, The, there's a cure that they don't want to give you. It's for Scythia, I think in the movie. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Fake news. Definitely the, uh, the real pandemic here. (laughs) That's the the real (laughs) contagion. Which I, yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Like, in our pandemic world, we didn't, I don't, not that I recall at least, we didn't have too many, you know, cures or whatever you want to call them before the vaccine came out. I think like a lot of them. None that, none that like people we know used. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's bleach. But it, <laughs> in the movie, I don't think in the movie there's any vaccine skeptics, right? Like once the vaccine's out, right, like right, right. Wait, presumably everyone's taking it. Um, so all the conspiracy theory stuff is like pre-vaccine, which I guess if the death rate's twenty percent, you're a lot more desperate than if it's like you know one-ish percent what we're dealing with. So yeah. that's kind of an interesting dynamic, though, to think yeah. about. Jude Law does specifically threaten to tell his pe- followers to not take the vaccine. Okay. Like he doesn't say. He doesn't really give a reasoning. He kind of just says like, "Just because I want to be chaotic." And that's before he's <laughs> arrested, right? Yeah. And kind of as he's being arrested. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll do it. I'll do it. And the U.S. government's like, uh-uh. Right. We're going to put together a 30-person sting team to <laughs> tra- chase you down. Right. And I, I do wonder, like, I I know, I personally know people who, who weren't vaccinated, got sick, and then received, like, monoclonal antibody treatments. So I do wonder if there was a 
I mean, that of course is not widely available and is still in a lottery system. Some places, lots of, you know, criteria you have to meet. I do wonder if there was something that was like a, like a, a for Scythia, um, if there would be kind of riots over it, like there were there. Cause I think, right. Oh yeah. 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 When within five seconds of being told we only have 50 doses of Forsythia, someone throws a chair through a pane of right. glass at a pharmacist. <laughs> right. Within the first, like literally, I think within the first 15 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think anybody, like when you're sick, you're desperate, right? Like anybody is willing yeah, to yeah. take that. If you're like, well, yeah. I mean, especially this particular in the movie disease where it's like, well, People are going to die right. right quick. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely some moments of desperation in the movie. You know, we we see people like fighting for food mm-hmm. um, from like National Guard trucks or Army trucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, presumably they don't have access to food otherwise. Right. Um, that's pretty scary to think about. And mm-hmm. thankfully we haven't had to deal with in our pandemic. Uh, we, we see one character, you know, approach was, I think his name's Alan, Jude Law's character, asking for, for Scythia directly. Um, he doesn't give it to her. Tells her to bring it to her later. Never does, and she dies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, you know, kind of those moments of desperation where there's like kind of hopelessness for people, or yeah. or something like that. Or you know, I think when people are are turning on each other and behaving very selfishly is uh, that's probably some of the scariest things to me. Really, totally. oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why it's like a zombie movie because a lot of zombie movies, the moral is always like. Monsters are other people. Right. That's that's who you actually have to look out for in a zombie apocalypse. It's like trampling. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Trampling, betrayal, and just general evil, you know, forces. Right. And, I, you know, we, we didn't experience that, but I think there were, like, threads of it that f- felt really scary, right? Like, when we're rashing toilet paper. I was say <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> like, I remember going to the grocery store. This is in New York, but there, there were single <laughs> rolls of toilet paper and they were selling them five for $4 or four for $5. I don't remember, but they, it was like single, a single wrapped roll of Scott toilet paper. It's like the worst, the worst. Yeah. Jeffrey really gets mad when I buy Scott toilet paper. So, you know, it's bad. Yeah, um, it's really bad. Um, don't sue Ben Scott toilet paper. It's um, a great <laughs> spot though. If you want to put Tushy ad in here or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll play the jingle and be like, is your ass hurting? <laughs> Maybe you need to stop using sandpaper. <laughs> hey, I mean, truthfully, I bought a bidet. You know, the totally. pandemic and yeah. you know, it's changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um and I assume he'd be on the bidet train if he was still alive today, but there was a, a comedian named John Panette who was um who died actually pretty young. I think he was in his fifties. He just died a few years ago. And uh he had he had a great bit that was he'd done some acting and stuff, and even when he was just like a struggling actor in New York, he his bit was and I'm not gonna try to deliver like him because he was very funny and I'm not. Um, as poor as I got, as as much as I ever struggled, I never bought bad toilet paper. <laughs> like, it's just like one thing you can never do, and that's like not you have to not buy bad toilet paper. Invest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, invest in your TP. Invest in toilet paper <laughs> for it's, sure. It's important. It is. It is important. Um, didn't didn't you? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say. I think Jeffrey and his friends like split fancy toilet paper. Yeah, like, that was <laughs> a very lucky coincidental thing. We like signed up for I can't remember the like bamboo toilet paper company that's online, and we had like a stockpile of toilet paper that nice. we were all sharing. So like people were like, "I'm running out," and we're like, "Oh man, well sorry, we get like dozens of rolls and." 
We probably gave a few away to people, but oh my God, it sucks to be you, but I'm all set. It was, right. yeah, pretty much like I was never worried about toilet paper for a second. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, <laughs> That's was, great. it was great. So I just, I mean, I wasn't worried about it either, but they, that was one of the like, I'm sure in New York it was different, but here it's just like, well, if people stop freaking out and buying all the toilet paper, totally. there'll be toilet paper for everyone. I'm sure that would have been true in New York, but yeah, they, they're, we were out of it <laughs> for sure. Yeah, like the, the local Target here ran out of toilet paper because the people who went in there for their shopping bought 10 times as much toilet paper right. as normal. It's just so bizarre. And Target hadn't supply chain planned to be selling that much toilet paper. <laughs> right. It's not yeah. that there is no toilet paper. <laughs> So they didn't think you'd need that much. Right, exactly. Or flour for all of the brands. Yeah, say like <laughs> Lysol wipes had the same issue, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that hand that, sanitizer very acutely. That yes. was yeah. Yeah, hand sanity was like gold for a while there. For sure. Yeah. And like um It's gonna be just, hard to, to explain that. To I, yes. Like that and dial up. They were gonna be able to explain. <laughs> yeah. And distilleries were making hand sanitizer. Yeah, it's I bought like, some from a distillery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I thought pretty good. <laughs> that um, and one interesting thing um, kind of supply related in the movie is they were um, talking about, I, f I forgot what it, it was a drug um, that could treat the virus and contagion, um, which we're just calling the virus and contagion. It doesn't have a name, right? Uh, Mer it Mev? Mev? M-E-V-1, -E I think. Oh, yes. Okay. okay, right. We were trying to remember. They didn't it use like a very ubiquitous No, no it wasn't like really. COVID, you know, it wasn't a catchy, catchy name, catchy virus, but not a catchy yeah. name. Um, they were talking about how um, they didn't want to, in the news interview segment, they were saying that, oh, you don't want to tell anyone about this drug until you've stockpiled it. Um, and that was interesting because I, there was a moment at the beginning of the COVID pandemic where um, the CDC w was saying something very different than they are now about masks. Um, and, you know, we, we later kind of all realized like, oh, you know, there aren't, there aren't enough masks and they need them for healthcare workers. So that's why we weren't being told to use them. Um, and, you know, there are of course not enough tests now. So it's interesting thoughts yeah. about like what, uh, a lack of supply does to public information during a pandemic. Uh, we have like a, a rather entrepreneurial local manufacturer who mostly does textiles, clothing and stuff for retail, but they swapped and um, they changed up their business and made, I think like over a million gowns and, and wow. they made masks and stuff during the pandemic and tried to sell them all over the country and stuff. Uh, the very same business, I think just received 500,000 tests that they're now selling out of their uh, warehouse. Wow. Oh, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was cool to see how how quick, you know, you can actually flip to make things. Even even vents, you know, there were companies mm -hmm. that just started making vents. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you, you know, need tests, <laughs> as, as a PSA, the government website went up today. A day early. Uh-huh. That you, you can get them delivered through the USPS. It's just like, covidtest.gov or something. It's a, I don't know. It's something like that. I'll find out like a, yeah, it'd be probably good, good to have like public some health actual, professional. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, each household, not person, each household gets four. So, uh, so every, you know, in Joe Biden's America, um, a mommy, a daddy, and two kids, every family. So that, that's your four, exactly. that's your four COVID. Or if you're uh, dinks like us, two apiece. <laughs> two apiece. Right. Uh, yeah, it's usps.com slash COVID test. There you go. <laughs> you can get I'll cut four. out the part where I was wrong to avoid, you know, accidental Jude Long. 
information. Ben doesn't want you to get COVID tests. <laughs> I want them all for me. <laughs> I'm going to use assumes me. <laughs> Send them to Ben's P.O. Box. <laughs> you should get a P.O. Box for mischief. You should. I Absolutely. Mean, <laughs> the be- all the best podcasters have one. <laughs> yeah. A subterfuge specific P.O. Box. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to hit on? Um, one like other nerdy public health thing um, was a comment um, made by Lawrence Fishburne's character, I think also in the news interview, about how it's so complicated because all of the states have their own policies to uh-huh. to deal with. Um, and it that was like a moment for me because, um, of course, <laughs> uh, we're living that right now. Um, states <laughs> we super are. It's like almost like we need a coordinated national public health system. Um, So I I thought that that was, you know, it was a really brief moment, but one that I think uh, a lot of us are seeing for the first time. Yeah, it's really sad to be behind Britain in such an important area. (laughs) Right. It just just is. Yeah. And, And especially in Massachusetts, like every city and town has their own health department, which is just bananas. <laughs> it's like yeah. half an FTE in the town we grew up in. So Yeah, it's yeah. uh it is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the the part of the movie kind of along those lines too is when they they shut down the state borders and they can't cross over the bridge. That mm-hmm. part's pretty crazy. So Matt Damon yeah. basically figures out that he he's immune to the virus for whatever reason which that's a whole separate thing that's really strange to be honest never explained but he doesn't know about his daughter so he's really concerned about her and they they try to flee to another state to get away and they're turned around by like the national guard or something or police or whatever on a bridge um i think that's another part that's like really you know kind of scary it's like yeah you can't escape you can't drive away and I think it was kind of a bit early on in the movie, if I recall, but it actually is pretty scary in terms of just the overall pandemic. I mean, I've had this thought many times in 2020. It's like, you know, I think your inclination is to try to get away mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, maybe I could, you know, can fly somewhere else, like, um, you know, fly to Europe, fly to Asia or something like that, somewhere where there's not the virus. But um, A, it's everywhere pretty much anyway. Mm-hmm. And B, there aren't any more flights anymore. You're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to enter, things like that. So like, I think that really hits home. Like, you know, if there's a hurricane or something like that, like usually you can escape by driving away. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not as lucky to get away fast enough or something like that. The pandemic, there's really no escaping it as long as you're on this planet. Right. Pandemics and yeah. comets, really hard to escape from. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I agree. That was a that was a really sad and desperate scene for sure. Um, him just like, I, I don't have. Yeah. We're not sick, you know, and and can't leave. Yeah, I, lo- I love that scene when he tells the guy like when the guy's like, "Get back in your car, I'll detain you." Yeah. And he just goes, "Where?" <laughs> right. The guy just goes, "Just get back in your car. <laughs> right. I'll detain you into your car." It's like, come on, man, just go away. <laughs> right. Like I can't let you no. cross the bridge. I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, bridges are bridges are an interesting thing. Like that, I remember. You know, I mentioned earlier the kind of um, rumors that they were going to like lock down New York City, but it was like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't leave yeah, without crossing a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> that's true yeah. around here too. I think that happened during Hurricane Katrina as well. That's what I thought of at least. They were they locked down some bridges or something, and I think they might have shot at people. I, I could be wrong, but um, that's what I thought of. Was like, wow, like you're really just like kind of condemning people to to live in this dire situation yeah if anyone's listening from cape cod 
it's tough. And, and so often, maybe not with Cape Cod, but so often it does kind of go along. You know, my thoughts always Titanic, right? It's oh yeah, yeah. It's the third class people that you're just like, no, everyone stay where you are. But it's like, okay, well, I'm in a very disadvantageous location, right? And you're right. fine. So it's right. easy for you to say everyone just stay where you are. True, true, not true of the Cape, yeah. <laughs> but, right. but, I think people on Cape Cod actually wanted the bridges to be closed, to be honest. Right. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, we'll just leave us alone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's super true that it's, you know, often places that don't have resources to begin with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Jeffrey and I have a COVID love story. We can tell you about that. Oh, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, a more of a like COVID circumstance love story. But we, so we were both in, separate cities. I was in New York city. Uh, Jeffrey mentioned he was in Portland, Oregon. And, um, for, I, I didn't come home for several months home, home to Massachusetts. Um, and I eventually visited over the summer and my dad built uh, a little apartment, uh, next to his house and was like, you know, Kate, why don't you just stay here? Um, you know, you're working out of your bedroom in New York city, and, you know, just why, you know, for, for the foreseeable future, why don't you just came, come hang here? And Jeffrey, you can tell kind of what life was like in Portland for you. Yeah. I mean, I was living alone in Portland, just felt very isolated. It was, you know, people were being very cautious. It was hard to get together. People, a lot of things were closed. Um, so it was just pretty hard. I, I, Portland winters are very dark and rough and like in a normal year in Portland. I, I don't really enjoy the winter there. Never mind one where I'm pretty much confined to my apartment. So I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to go back, you know, home to where my family is and parents are in Rhode Island and stay with them for a bit. I was actually planning to build out a, a camper van and maybe drive around in that. That was my idea. And I would just be out here and, you know, actually have other people to be around and be with, like with my parents versus just being kind of stuck in an apartment by myself in Portland. And and that was around the time that the wildfires were really bad in yeah, Portland as yeah. well. The Portland there were what bad wildfires in Oregon in August September of 2020, and that was kind of like the the last straw for me. I was not going to be stuck in my apartment any longer with wildfires outside and a pandemic going on, and I just kind of had enough for a while. And so I I packed up my things and I I drove out of Portland in October 2020 and set my sights for Rhode Island and arrived about three weeks later. Right. Visited all the national parks on the way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was here. Um, and so we, our families live about 10 minutes apart from each other. And I was here, um, visiting, it was my birthday and I had just decided that I was going to move back home in December. Um, and while I was sitting on my dad's couch, I opened up okay Cupid and Jeffrey was, it was his first day here. He did the same. And we came across each other that day um, and and messaged. And that was, you know, a year and change ago um, and haven't looked back. So it's COVID, COVID love story for the ages. There you go. Yeah. Tale as old as time. Yeah. And we just Aww. we just bought a house together while I was COVID positive. So. <laughs> so that is true. And Full circle. Bought yeah. a house <laughs> and uh, signed, signed uh, the closing documents from the car wearing masks and gloves and <laughs> staying yeah. away from yeah. the closing attorney. And yeah, it's really it really has been a COVID love story. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so yeah, so, so COVID's been great for you guys. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's pretty much all positive. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> so 
what do you think? It seems like they got like a lot of stuff spot on in this movie. Anything like big that they got wrong? I mean, we've talked about the vaccine willingness slash hesitancy part, but. Hmm, that's a good question. It seems like they're, they're yeah, really pressing in a lot of areas. But. Yeah, other than what we already covered. And I don't know if there's like a whole lot else. Yeah, there wasn't. So I'm not, I should say I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, they, so, but I mean, they couldn't have known about the president being like one of the main problems. <laughs> right, exactly. They couldn't have known that. Um, but there was nothing from a public health standpoint that, you know, as a master's level social behavioral public health person, I was like, wow, like absolutely not. Um, so I thought they did a pretty good job and it seemed, you know, pretty well researched, at least in terms of roles and things like that. Oh, you know what someone um, I just thought of was? What? I thought it was interesting in the movie. They uh, distribute the vaccine by birth date. Yeah, it was like a war draft. <laughs> that, yeah, it's like, which, I mean, we obviously didn't do that here. We did it by age, which was smart, I I think. Um, well, it didn't quite seem like they're, I mean, they didn't get into this, but I guess um, this could be a potential hole here. It didn't seem like the virus affected people differently by age or, or right. health conditions. So yeah. that, I yeah. guess that, that was pretty weird. I, I don't know that most viruses would behave like that. Um but uh, yeah, that's that's probably the one thing that they were told about, but maybe just decided for the sake of expediency, right? And drama for it to be like Gwyneth Paltrow, who's in good shape, and then also like a literal child being the first deaths that you see yeah. and dying so fast. And yeah, yeah, you you have no idea. And of course, we don't like know their health histories, but they, um, I guess, if we had no clue, you know, that, that people who were fair. older were had a higher mortality rate than something like that could have happened. But it, it does almost seem more dystopian because of that. It seems, I mean, it's like the hunger games also <laughs> aside from a war draft, um, that they're just kind of picking birthdays. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little more, I don't know, feels a little more like visceral in a way you're mm, like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like it is a lot about luck here mm-hmm. versus circumstance. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and, and lots of the ways that vaccination worked here were not, entirely fair I guess, either right like sure. I counted as a healthcare worker despite being remote I got to get my vaccine really early um there are lots of folks who you know by circumstance of work and whatever um couldn't get to vaccine sites we did a pretty bad job kind of meeting people where they were at um in terms of vaccination so um yeah I don't know I don't know what the perfect vaccine delivery system is but that one did kind of seem creepy yeah, or like Lawrence Fishburne says or someone suggested you just put it in the water right right <laughs> just like fluoride fluoride yeah. it up yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that seemed like a shock because he was like the department of defense wants to know if we can just put it in the water <laughs> and then like the two scientists looked at each other like these motherfuckers <laughs> that's not a bad question though I think from no, like a layperson like, standpoint right yeah I'm sure the Department of Defense is like I mean like if no one asked and we could have done that then like we'd feel stupider yeah it's like I'm like good idea but no you can't right right exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah you may not I mean, this, this is why everyone hates scientists right They're just always trying to get one over <laughs> exactly so um what else do we want to cover? Okay, so now that you've seen it for the first time and now that you've rewatched it for a second time in a little yeah. over a year and a half or two years or whatever it's been, uh, would you guys recommend this? 
specifically for someone who has missed out on this. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it. I thought it was a, a good movie. It was a, I think the style of it made it um, move quickly, that kind of hyperlink style. Um, it's definitely unnerving. Um, I think the the fact that you figure out how it originated and kind of have some sense of hope at the end, make it a little less unnerving than it could have been. Um, I would not have recommended it in 2020. I think that was a wild move by Jeffrey to rewatch it. But now that we're all just deeply steeped in, yeah. in the pandemic, I, I think it's, now, so no, no, like I mean, it's we're, we're in it for sure, but we know what we're in for. I think, um, you know, if you'd watch this right at the beginning of, yeah. of COVID times, it would seem a lot scarier. Yeah, um, at this point, it's more just like trading war stories. Exactly. It's like, they're probably better than we are. Um, so, so yeah, I, th I think it's a, a safe emotional watch for most people um, and I'd recommend it. Cool. Yeah, I would as well. I mean, this, aside from what Kate said, uh, really great cast, a lot of, a lot of A-list actors in this film. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, lends a lot to performance. It's, it's a unique format, um, in terms of, you know, what we're talking about with the, the parallel storylines and all that. So I, I think it's a really in, enjoyable watch, and I think a lot of people will relate to it a lot more closely now than they would have when it first came out in 2011. For sure. And, Je and Gwyneth Paltrow makes a very creepy autopsy subject. Um, so for that <laughs> alone. Yeah. yeah, I think I there's so many people that aren't in it for that much. I think she was on set for like one day or something. One day? Just wow. Like bang it out. Wow, that's wild. She's yeah. only on screen with Matt Damon for a minute. Right, so, right, yeah, and she. I mean, the the flashbacks to the casino are. Yeah, those are those are all just like in sequence with each other. She might have just. They're just like, oh, go hang out in the casino. We'll film you for an hour. Right, right? and they just like pause every time she touches someone. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was that was really great. And oh, I rewatched parts of it. Um, like, cause again, we were supposed to record this a few weeks ago. I did not realize that that was, um, her, her lover slash ex, um, John Neal. I think it's his John last name is definitely Neal. Um, uh, that he, it was him that gets taken out in the ambulance right after, oh, yeah. um, until I rewatched it. That was, that was kind of a wild. There you go. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. We never actually see him, but we see like his dead body or dead, some sort of uh, housekeeping person finding his dead body. I, I assumed it was his partner, but partner, <laughs> who knows? Okay. Yeah. 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 But the, yeah, there's a lot, you know, they had to throw in the, the affair. So yeah, was, that is, I, I love, yeah. There's, so I, I love Soderbergh in, in his movies and, um, some of the dialogue in this is really weird. I, I feel like he's usually has good dialogue, <laughs> but this is written by Scott Z Burns. I, mean, I don't want to cast aspersions at anyone, but some of the stuff's really clunky, but I do like the line where uh, Matt Damon's like, did John Neal do this to us? <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. like referring to him by his full name. Right. <laughs> it's just very funny to me. Wait, was he talking to the nurse? And the yeah, yeah. Or Kate yeah. Winslet, I think, at that point. I, we were wondering. Yes. I actually couldn't tell if that was Kate I Winslet. Think that, I'm and pretty sure that's supposed to be Winslet. I, I was like staring She's at She's just her. like, I can't say anything. Right. It would make sense that she would interview him, was my thing. I agree. It, the person just like looked like they had, yeah. you know, that maybe I a brunette and and. Yeah. They uh, just uh, sh she was in full battle rattle, kind of interviewing, yeah. um, interviewing Matt Damon, and um, and yeah, she says, uh, "Did you know anyone in Chicago or something?" And he's like, "Well, my wife's was in a relationship with someone in Chicago before me, and he yeah. that's when he realizes that that she was having an affair, and that's kind of a through line. Like when yeah. they're talking to when he's talking to Gwyneth Paltrow's mom, she's like, you know, she made some mistakes, but she really loved well, you, right? Yeah. I mean the. Uh, 
I guess for Matt Damon, the best part of the story is she actually killed John Neal. So she did kill John. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he finds out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, later on, Kate Winslet tells Lawrence Fishburne on the phone that like, Oh, how do you tell a guy whose wife just died that she was cheating on him? Right. So that's why it's yeah, like, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Kate Winslet. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's rough. Um, I know. <laughs> so would I recommend this? Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, someone else I was talking to, I can't, it was part of an episode well, it was someone that I just did an episode with, so I can't remember if it was part of her or not, but my cousin I was talking to and saying, yeah, we're doing Contagion next. It's going to be the first Soderbergh that we do in the podcast. He's like, that's a wild choice. <laughs> you don't want to do like the Oceans movies or, you know, anything that he's been nominated for stuff for. And, um, but whatever, we'll do more Soderberghs. I, I like him a lot, but and I would definitely recommend this movie. It's it's really fascinating. It moves. It's such a such a crazy clip. It's just so smooth. His movies are always edited really, really with a fine, fine point. I'm not, I don't know what I'm trying to say. An extremely sharp knife, whatever <laughs> they, they fly though. They're it, like almost frictionless. They just zoom, zoom. Sometimes we have a little game at the end. Are you guys ready to take a quiz? Yes. Let's do it. I look normally for, uh, to steal someone else's quizzes. And I take them from like, you know, Let's see, like, oh, what's like a funny place to take it from? BoiseState.edu. Sure. <laughs> so from BoiseState.edu. Shout out to Taylor Bird, my friend who went to Boise State. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Nice. They got that blue football field. Kind of like makes you think your TV's broken. <laughs> uh, History quiz. Pandemic edition. Oh. D- written by a doctor, Todd Shallot. Not quite spelled like the onion. Um. <laughs> It's a multiple choice, and we'll just uh, keep track keep track of your points. There's, I got a few of these. I don't know if we'll get all through all of them. They're not like they're they're interesting from a quiz standpoint, but I don't know if they're from a trivia standpoint. That great. No offense to Doctor Shallot, but <laughs> we'll do what we can. Okay, <clears throat> number one, the this epidemic helped forge the American two party system. In Philadelphia, as the death toll mounted, Federalists accused Democrats of a biological terror campaign. Was it smallpox, the Great Plague of Marseille, or yellow fever? Tell me first. Yeah, sure. She's trying to psych you out. I'm gonna She's go with like yellow. Staring you down. I'm gonna go with yellow fever. Yeah. Um, I was also gonna go with yellow fever. You're both right. It's yellow yeah. fever. Nice. One to one. <laughs> in February 1692, in the Massachusetts village of Salem, eight young women accused their neighbors of witchcraft. Some historians blame the hysteria on a viral fever spread by insects and birds. Is it bird flu, encephalitis, or typhoid? Typhoid. Call that encephalitis. It's encephalitis. No. <laughs> Jeffrey leads two to one. A trade deal with China unleashed one of the deadliest of the great pandemics. Italy was hit especially hard. Was it the plague of Justinian, COVID-19, or bubonic plague? Oh, uh, I I guess I'm going to go bubonic plague on this one. I, I was going to go with COVID. I don't, I don't know if it was Go a ahead. trade deal, but Italy was was hit especially hard. It was bubonic plague. <laughs> so he's got a two-point lead now. A London doctor used a dot map to pioneer the modern science of epidemiology during this one. Is it the third cholera pandemic, the Great Plague of London, or typhus? AKA Irish fever. Cholera. I was going to go with the, the first one, A. It is the third cholera pandemic. So you both got that one. 
This one has an all of the above option, so okay. be aware. Scientists blamed stressed out bats and their habitat loss for this 21st century pandemic. Is it COVID-19, Ebola, SARS, or all of the above? All of the above. Uh, I'm going to go with SARS. It is all of the above. Oh, nice. <laughs> Do you cut nice. the lead to one? Yes. <laughs> and we have two left, so... Charles the fourth of Spain launched history's first global immunization campaign. Pathogens from a diseased cow passed arm to arm in a human chain from the Canary Islands to the Americas and then on to the Philippines. I guess this doctor is implying that people floated in the ocean arm to arm. Yes. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) that's exactly what I mean. They met in the middle. Is it whooping cough, rubella? Smallpox. Smallpox. Or is it also smallpox? Of course it's smallpox. <laughs> Come on. Called the romantic disease, this affliction was hailed in Victorian times as poetic inspiration. Franz Kafka, John Keats, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Edgar Allan Poe, and Fyodor Dostoevsky all romanticized the disease. Victor Hugo, however, had it crippled the spine of Notre Dame's famous hunchback. Is that diphtheria? Spanish flu or tuberculosis? Tuberculosis? No, diphtheria. I'm going to go tuberculosis. It's tuberculosis. He retakes the (laughs) two-point lead. And the game. Congratulations to Jeffrey. I have no prize to offer you. Can I have a degree in public health now? Apparently. apparently. (laughs) I am just not an infectious disease expert. That's all it takes. Apparently I am, I do have to recommend a Twitter account um, on the subject of cholera and the founding of epidemiology. Jon Snow was like the person who figured out to turn off the water pump. Um, There's a great Twitter um, that's neoliberal Jon Snow. And it's uh, it's all about, you know, what Jon Snow would have to be saying if people were reacting to cholera like they're reacting to COVID. And that has nothing to do with Game of Thrones. Nothing to, to do clear. with Game of Thrones. Different Jon Snow, perhaps the uh, <laughs> the namesake. But yeah. but yeah, things like the businesses on Broad Street were complaining. So I reinstalled the water pump are, are the tweets and they're fantastic. So fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, before we end real quick, um not to get into labor issues and digital media, but do uh, you guys know the AV Club? It's a website. I do, yeah. yeah. So I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if not for classic AV Club. Uh, and even lately, you know, for the last several years, even though there's been so much turnover with AV Club and any other publication owned by Geo Media, um, I've still, I still read them pretty regularly, but that's probably ending. They recently, Geo Media, the corporate vulture slash vampires that took over the former Gawker kind of consortium of uh, web pages, including onion media, which owns AV club. They recently last month sent uh, (laughs) a letter to um, the nine full-time employees of the AV club, which has been based in Chicago since it's, you know, with the onion since it's uh, inception a long time ago that um, their jobs are now in Los Angeles. <laughs> and What? <laughs> um, their jobs are now in Los Angeles, and uh, they're, they are welcome to go there if they want. They were not offering any um, cost of living increase or any wow. relocation in money. 
Um, just your jobs are now in Los Angeles, uh, in a very obvious and bald faced effort to force out the expensive editors who've been there forever, uh, which succeeded earlier today. Those, the, those employees all announced that they would be leaving AV club. And I guess I'm not going to read it anymore. That is a huge bummer because yeah, remote work bummer. is so easy these days. <laughs> yes, it's incredibly easy and um, yeah. Thin, so, thinly veiled effort. Thinly veiled effort. They are part of a union that's uh, so they do get severance packages that the union fought for unlike the very publicized um, Deadspin walkout of a little while ago. Those people, and if a similar thing could happen with the AV Club, it'd be pretty cool. But for the most part, they all scatter into different digital media directions. Um, subscribe to Defector. That's uh, where all the Deadspin people went. And it's a lot better than uh, Zombie Deadspin as it exists now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's owned by the people who actually write the articles. And they all make more money this way, I hope. So Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. This is this fun. fun. Yeah, Kate, Jeffrey, we'll have you on again soon. And uh, that's just a thing that people who host shows say, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not and, true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Roll credits. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks.